There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. Mr. Hector B. Poole, resident of the Twilight Zone. Flip a coin and keep flipping it. What are the odds? Half the time it'll come up heads, half the time tails. But in one freakish chance in a million, it'll land on its edge. Mr. Hector B. Poole, a bright human coin on his way to the bank. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, the Twilight Zone series. I'm one half of the host, Jimbo, joined together again with... 80s E here. I had a great line, I was going to say, coming from the frozen tundra of the fifth dimension, but the snow kind of missed us here in the in the Midwest, here in Indy area, so um, just regular old day, kind of cold this morning, or afternoon, I guess. Yeah, got some uh, freezing rain over on this the southern layer here yeah. but we're making work yeah, northern layer as well we're uh, ready to trudge through this twilight zone uh for season two episode number 16 um and i i think i'll just launch right in here uh this one is entitled a penny for your thoughts um and um again this is episode number 16 of season number two this was actually directed by James Sheldon, and um, it was written not by Rod Serling this time. It was written by one George Clayton Johnson, and he was kind of, uh, kind of an interesting fellow. I got a little bit of a, a bio in regards to him, um, and I'll get to that maybe in a, just a minute or two. This one was aired originally on February the 3rd, 1961. And this leads us to our world-renowned, our beloved segment that we like to call, and I'll give a, a little applause to precede this, it is our world-renowned, On This Day in History. So on February the 3rd, 1986, this is a good one, Pixar Animation Studios, which includes Toy Story and The Incredibles, amongst many others. It was headed by Edwin Catmull and Alvy Ray Smith. It's a spinoff from Lucasfilms Ltd. as an independent film production company with the backing of one Steve Jobs. So uh, Pixar Animation started on February the 3rd, 1986. So that's a cool little thought. Uh, total production costs for this particular episode comes in pretty modestly at $43,094.57. And of course, when we adjust that for inflation in 2023 dollars, it's $426,075.72 with an 888% increase. And I'll just throw the, these dates in. Um, the dates of rehearsal for this episode was September the 28th and 29th of 1960. So two days for a rehearsal. And the dates for filming for this episode were September 30th 
and three days for filming, September 30th, October 3rd, and October 4th of 1960. So, Jimbo, take away that cast. All right, we have probably the main character, which we've seen him before in Season 1 of The Twilight Zone and The Purple Testament. Uh, we have Dick York. He's playing the main character, Hector B. Poole. Um, he was in the movie Inherit the Wind in 1960, but he's probably most remembered for Bewitched, where he played Darren. Um, June Dayton, she played Helen Turner. Uh, she was in Tora, Tora, Tora in 1970. Uh, Dan Tobin, he played M or E M Bagby. Uh, he was in The Velvet Touch in 1948. Cyril or Cyril played L.G. Smithers. Um, he was in the movie Soya Green in 1973, where he uh, says book number four. Did you ever see Soya Green, Eric? No, I've never seen that before. Huh. Uh, it, it, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but, the, the, well, yeah, I will. <laughs> they, uh, it's basically where there's this, uh, basically like a food shortage, and they come up with this drink called Soya Green, but come to find out that it's being made from people. Oh. And the drink is, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Maybe we'll cover it on the main podcast sometime. Uh, he was also in uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, where he played an elderly farmer. And he was also in The Invisible Man's Revenge, uh, where he played Malty Bill, who was the shopkeeper. Uh, you had Hayden Rourke, uh, played Sykes. Uh, he was in When Worlds Collide in 1951. He was also uh, in a couple episodes of I Dream of Jeannie. Uh, James Nolan, he played Jim. Uh, he was in Dirty Harry in 1971, where he was the liquor proprietor. He was also in the movie Airport. Uh, you had Frank London. Uh, he was the driver. Uh, he was in two episodes of The Twilight Zone. I didn't write down which ones. I know this one and another one. Uh, but he was also in I Spy in 1955. You had Anthony Ray, who was the newsboy. Uh, he was in Shadows in 1958. Uh, Patrick Waltz uh, played Brand. He was in Queen of Outer Space in 1958, where he played, played Lieutenant Larry Turner. We also had... Eileen Arnold, or Eileen Arnold, uh, was the pede uh, pedestrian uncredited. Uh, Sig Frohlich, he was a pedestrian that was uncredited. Uh, he was in Clue in 1985, where he was a stand-in. And yes, we have the great Rod Serling, uh, who does the normal narration and the creator of The Twilight Zone. But he also was in other things, such as Night Gallery, um, which Eric and I may be covering after The Twilight Zone. We're still undecided on that. But he was also, Eric, I don't know if you know this, but he was a writer and uh, for the screenplay Planet of the Apes. Yep. Um, which, uh, I don't know by the time this comes out, but we are getting ready to record an episode with the Evil Never Dies podcast this Saturday uh, on the Planet of the Apes. So it's a little crossover. We're going to cover all the eight movies, and we're going to start with the first one. So, uh, very good movie. It's some of my favorites from my childhood. Yeah, it's a nice um, plug. But there you have, there you have the cast for A Penny for Your Thoughts. All right. That's, a, again, a good plug for the Evil Never Dies podcast, and check that out if you're definitely interested in the Planet of the Apes series. Uh, the plot for this episode goes like this. Bank clerk Hector Poole develops telepathic powers after tossing a coin to the, into a newspaper vendor, or to a newspaper vendor, that miraculously stands on its edge. He discovers the positive and negative effects of listening in on other people's thoughts Plans and fantasies. Boy, wouldn't that be something, though, to be able to have that power? I don't know that I would want to be able to listen or hear people's no. thoughts. Uh, it would probably scare me 
uh, to death. But by way of biography, let me just ba- jump back to George Clayton Johnson just for the mini bio here because uh, I think he did two or three. I think he wrote two or three episodes. I'm not exactly sure, but he was born on July 29, 1929, in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and died uh, Christmas Day, 2015, in North Hills, California. Um, he is known for a movie entitled. Well, a couple of movies here. Uh, not only the Twilight Zone movie in 1986, but a movie called uh, Logan's Run, and one that we're probably more familiar with, uh, entitled Ocean's Eleven in 2001. Uh, and he was married to Lola Brownstein, only one spouse, which is kind of weird in Hollywood. He was only married to one woman um, for, uh, doesn't give the number of years, but several years. Um, and apparently back in 2006, he attended the Twilight Zone convention. I didn't even know that existed back in 2006, but that would have been cool to go to. So probably an assembly of cast members and writers and producers that went on a couple of years, I guess, at least 2006 and 2007. He attended both of those things. Upon deciding that he wanted to be a writer, Johnson joined the circle of Southern California science fiction writers. Okay. This included William F. Nolan, Charles Beaumont. A familiar, a familiar name, Richard Matheson and Ray Bradbury. Um, mm. Johnson and what is Ray Bradbury? I can't. Uh, Fahrenheit four Fahrenheit four fifty one. Okay, okay. I, I knew that name sounded familiar, but I didn't do a deep dive on him as well. Johnson was a strong advocate for the legalization of marijuana. He re, uh, repeatedly smoked weed uh, all day, every day, well into his eighties. So, yeah. and if you see a pick. <laughs> In his bio, if you look at him, uh, that picture would match that description that I just gave. He looks like uh, another Willie Nelson 2.0. He was a real child of the 60s, if you will. So, uh, yeah, George Clayton Johnson. Uh, he, but uh, he served in the Army and then studied drafting in college. He eventually moved to Los Angeles where he worked as a draftsman for the Lockheed Aviation Company while moonlighting as a writer. Soon after quitting his day job to pursue full-time writing, he met Twilight Zone writer Charles Beaumont, who introduced him to the show's creator, Rod Serling. So that's a little mini-bio of how we uh, have George Clinton uh, Johnson. Also, also Mr. Uh, 80s, uh, he was also, uh, this was his first of four Twilight Zone scripts that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was his lightest one, they said, and the easy tone doesn't detract from it. This episode is charming and funny, and it does have a point, that people do things without thinking about them and think things without having the slightest intention of doing them, or rather that tel- tele- telepathy isn't all it's cracked up yeah, to be. Yeah, I so. agree 100%. Is, is a good, charming is a good way to describe this episode. So the episode itself probably has, I, I just wrote it as three main movements, and as we open the episode... I'm going to assume that we're in New York City because uh, Poole comes off of looks what looks to be like a subway. Uh, it comes up some subway stairs and goes straight to the newsstand. So the three movements, if I could break the episode down um, simply as possible, and we'll highlight, I've highlighted them this way. Uh, first one is on the street at the newspaper stands, uh, newspaper stand, and he has interactions with the paper boy the people walking by and the guy who hit him with the car. So at the, at the beginning and he, well, let me back up because he first encounters the newspaper stand boy, which I don't, I can't remember. Does he read his, I don't think he reads the newspaper boy's thoughts, but Hector throws a coin 
It's interesting. That's the first bit of trivia that I have. It's interesting that the title of the episode is A Penny for Your Thoughts, but he actually throws a quarter into the box. And um, so he throws a quarter in into the newspaper stand uh, box, and I actually have trivia that goes along with that. Um, the actual chance of a coin landing on its edge is 1 in 6,000. According to IMDb, I don't. That seems kind of low. I know Jimbo's giving me a face. Well, I do believe I, I do believe Rod Serling said it was one in a million. Yeah, when I he would. Was, uh, I would his... say it's probably. I don't know who did that, but yeah, I don't know. But I would say it's probably in the millions. But according to IMDb trivia, they say it's one in six thousand. Um, but it actually was a trick, and I think I have that uh, down here somewhere. I don't. I can't see it but there was an actually the way they did the trick was if i my memory serves me is they had like a coin on a string and it was like kind of like a little magic trick because originally the story was supposed to go that hector gets hit by a car which getting hit by a car is part of the story but that was more developed and as a result of him getting hit by a car it kind of knocks his noggin and and then he has the telepathic powers after he gets hit by a car However, uh, because of costs, uh, they didn't, you know, AB, uh, CBS and the Twilight Zone and uh, those in charge didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to pay all the money to set up the sets and all that stuff. So, therefore, we have the coin trick with the newspaper boy at the stand. Um, the second movement in the, the episode is at the bank, okay? And we have interactions at the bank, and we'll get there momentarily, with Bagby, and that regarded his affair with Felicia, the security guard. He could read the thoughts of the security guard about the Southpaw South pitcher in the baseball game, and then the notches on his gun. Uh, he has an interaction with a depositor at the bank, and he the depositor was angry about a notice that he received in the mail. Uh, he has a interaction with Sykes, and he uh, reads Sykes' thoughts in regards to the $200,000 loan that he intends to use on betting <laughs> on horses. <laughs> uh, and, of course, Miss Turner, uh, he, he reads her thoughts, her admiration, her encouragement and kindness. That's what he reads from her. Brand, uh, his appropriate, inappropriate thoughts about Miss Turner resulting in having the water dumped on him, if you remember that scene. Um, and then Mr. Smithers, of course, the daydreaming uh, of robbing the bank. Uh, and then the third movement in the episode, we go back to the newsstand on the street. And that's where the the coin gets knocked over and all the voices are gone. So that's just kind of where we move through the episode. And we'll highlight a few things. Um, I'm at the point right now where the man hits him with the car <laughs> and you know, says, are you okay? And he seems really genuine. And then he's like, you stupid idiot. Like, what were you doing? <laughs> walking in the, walking in the street. Um, and then, and we're actually to, to Rod's narrative. That brings us to Rod's narration after he gets hit by the man in the car. And then Rod's flipping a coin. And, uh, this is where Jimbo, where you said that he said the chances are about one in a million. Um, any anything that sticks out to you in the beginning, or you got stuff well, there, to say for the end? Well, there was the one guy that kind of looked like uh, Clark Kent. He kind of stood there in a suit with the, the glasses on. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, the mild manner reporter Clark Kent's on the scene. Um, but uh, it's like we said before, man. The, this episode, 
Twilight Zone does not do a good job with comedy. Okay, it's just, it's not my forte. I mean, I love comedy, don't get me wrong. You know I love comedy. But this it's just, it just it just feels off. You know what I mean? Yeah, I thought this was out of the, the comedy. The comedic episodes that we have seen so far, this is probably the best one because it doesn't lean too heavy into it, but it is a, a lighter episode. Um, but by way of trivia, trivia, the title comes from the old English expression, "a penny for your thoughts," which date or penny of your thoughts, which is a little bit of a change there, which dates back to John Hedwood's compilation of uh, Proverbs, and that compilation was entitled. A dialogue containing the number and effect of all the proverbs in the English tongue. Boy, that's a long title. Ironically, it is a quarter that, not a penny, and I mentioned that earlier, that is used, uh, it's a quarter, not a penny, as used in the title that stands on its edge and allows Hector to read other people's thoughts. You know, you brought up glasses for Hector Poole. He cracks his glasses when he gets hit. I just now noticed this. He doesn't wear them the rest of the episode. Like, his vision, no, how bad can his vision be? Like, one lens is completely <laughs> cracked, but he goes throughout his day, and it doesn't seem to ever bother him the rest of the day. Nope. That's that's kind of interesting. Um, this uh, has been reported to be the inspiration for the movie What Women Want. And I think, Jimbo, you mentioned that to me before we even did this episode, that, that this episode reminded you a lot of that movie. Uh, man, it's, yeah. it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. I have to go back and watch that. Watch it. Again, yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of themes from uh, what women want in this um, particular episode. And we touched on this last week a little bit, but this is one of two consecutive Twilight Zone episodes, I can't speak today, that star future bewitched 1964 regular, in this case, Dick York, and in the previous episode, obviously, there was Agnes Moorhead, who was also a part of the famed TV show Bewitched. It was his mother-in-law. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> great, great TV show. Uh, now, this might be a little of interest. Um, where did I have it? Uh, Dick York stars alongside Dan Tobin. Okay, Dan Tobin, who played... Let me pull back the cast list again. He played Bagby. Ian Bagby, yeah. Tobin uh, guest starred uh, apparently frequently on Bewitched as well. So there was some uh, interaction there amongst actors. Um, <laughs> well, it is hilarious when he goes into uh, Bagby's office and Bagby's on the phone with his mistress or whatever and he's trying to set up a whole yeah. weekend and, <laughs> and, and Hector's reading his thoughts and he's just like, you know, what what a weekend trip. You're going to ruin my weekend trip or whatever. And then, obviously, the other funny part is when, uh, what's the guy's name? I always have trouble with these cast lists. Uh, is it not Smithers? Uh, Sykes? Sykes. Yeah, Sykes. Thank you. That's asking for the $200,000 loan and and has no intention of repaying the loan back, uh, but is going to go bet all of his money on the horses. Um. This is one of two episodes in Dick York's career that had that was in the set or on the set of a bank. The other being Dusty Drawer on the Alfred Hitchcock Show, which I got to check that out too because hmm. I've, I've never seen that. Uh, the car for all you car buffs, the car that hits Hector on the street is a 1964 Galaxy Town sedan. So there you go. I don't know if 
I don't know if that's the same car they use in the Andy Griffith show or not, but it's a Ford Galaxy. I know they were Ford Galaxies, but I'm not sure of the trim or model or whatever. Uh, the original script, I talked about this earlier, did not feature the toss of a coin in the box. Dick York, the character of Hector Poole, is hit by a car and later comes to realize that he can hear voices. Uh, well, Johnson, uh, George Clayton Johnson, talked about that. and He says, well, the budget wouldn't allow for them to spend time or the money to build up a great uh, car accident. Someone on the set comes up with the idea of putting a string on a coin. And then he shows it to Serling, and Serling says that he likes the idea. Well, they film the coin trick, and it flies through the air and snaps upright, standing on its edge, a miraculous situation that grants Hector Poole a chance to hear other people's thoughts. So, that's uh, an interesting notation. Serling remarked, or later remarked, that this episode was not unlike another short story I read, where a man learns the ability to read uh, thoughts from an aged, musty manuscript, which he buys in a used bookstall. He proceeds to utilize this knowledge, only to be shot in the end by a crook who didn't think the gun was loaded. <laughs> That's kind of funny to think about. He's, he's reading the guy's thoughts, and the guy's like, oh, this gun isn't loaded, and then he ends up getting killed. And I could insert a Alec Baldwin joke here, but I won't do that. <laughs> That's, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> That's, blah, blah, That's too low. Blah. That's too low, isn't it, right? <laughs> too soon, Eric. Yeah, too, too soon. soon. Oh, sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, Jimbo, anything else? We're coming to the scene now where yeah, I'm, Hector pours I'm gonna the, throw this in. He pours the water on uh, the guy for, you know, thinking bad thoughts about Miss Turner. Uh, I'm going to throw this in. This this has a tie-in to a future episode of The Twilight Zone that's later on in this season. Uh, but this was the first of six episodes directed by James Sheldon. Uh, behind guiding the episode, uh, Sheldon uh, also conceived two funny bits of business. And the first, Hector Poole overhears some sympathetic thoughts about himself and at first believes them to be coming from a bust of George Washington <laughs> when they're actually coming from Miss Turner. And the second, Poole deliberately eavesdropping on the thoughts of the bank's customer, idly strolls up to a woman who is smiling blissfully and holding a stack of money, only find out that she's not thinking absolutely anything. On the set during the filming were George Clayton Johnson and his wife, Lola. He recalls that the reaction to his story was very favorable. Uh, quote, Dan Tobin said that it was a darn clever idea. He thought that it would make a series of what would happen to people who came into contact with that coin. So I wrote a presentation called A Penny for Your Thoughts, and I wrote a story about a gambler. Now, Eric, see if this sounds like a future episode that we we I know you've already watched. Mm -hmm. Uh, where was it? A gambler who got the coin, which allowed him to read thoughts. He was in a big poker game, and he knew he was going to win. He'd won one poker game, and another, and another, because he could read the minds of the other players. Now, it's finally the biggest poker game of all, and it's very obscure. He is taken to this very special place to meet with this very famous gambler, and the very famous gambler is an Oriental, and the Oriental thinks in Chinese when he's watching the cards. <laughs> now, does that sound like the episode coming up with Buddy Epson, where he can move it with his mind? Oh, yeah. Instead of using the coin, I mean, it's almost the exact same plot about the gambling and all that, where mm -hmm. he's using him to do that, and they go and meet that famous gambler. Yep. And then, uh, last but not least, says, The dearest memory that Johnson holds regarding a penny for your thoughts uh, stems from another incident that occurred during the filming. I felt sort of like a stranger on the set, he recalls. It was the Twilight Zone set, not mine. And I felt like I was being allowed to eavesdrop by even being allowed to be there while it was done. And while this was happening, Rod came through with a couple of people. 
visitors that he had brought on, and he saw me and Lola, and he stopped to introduce us to these people. And his attitude toward me was one of great respect. It wasn't like, hey, I'm Rod Sterling, and this is one of the flunkies on the set. It was more like, look, here's the man who wrote this absolutely wizardly uh, wizard thing that we're making right now. It really built my ego and made me feel worthwhile. So that's another uh, section from the Twilight Zone Companion by Mark Scott Zikri, um, if you're looking for that. So uh, very cool how Rod treated everybody, usually with respect and mm-hmm. not just as, hey, I'm better than you. Sure. So uh, On September 2nd, 1960, Robert Longnecker operating his agency for actors and actresses, contacted Ethel Wynant, the casting director for The Twilight Zone, and he had a few suggestions. One for Miss Turner was uh, a lady by the name Beverly Brown for her role uh, for Miss Turner. Sterling had, by coincidence, met Beverly Brown at a luncheon and wanted to feature her in an episode of The Twilight Zone. While she did not get the role of Miss Turner for this episode, Brown did get the role uh, of the stewardess Jane in the episode The Odyssey Flight uh, the Odyssey of Flight 33, which is coming up in a couple episodes from now, I think. So that's a kind of a tie-in here. We'll, we'll see uh, Miss Beverly Brown in the, the Odyssey of Flight 33 here in a couple more episodes. In this episode, Samantha, oh, I'm talking about, uh, let me back up. Uh, there was a, the Twilight Zone was referenced in an episode of Bewitched. And in the episode, Samantha goes south for a spell on television's Bewitched, initially telecast on October the 3rd, 1968. Darren, played by Dick York, returns home to find himself in another comedical situation involving witchcraft. He remi- he remarks, Oh, this is just great. I've come home from work to find out my wife is in the Twilight Zone. This was obviously an inside <laughs> joke because both York and Elizabeth Montgomery made guest appearances on the series. And Elizabeth Montgomery's is, I think episode one of season three um i think it's called like the two of us or i can't remember the exact name but she's coming up here pretty soon too um here's a goof when bagby emerges from his office to tell pool about the ajax loan fraud he prevented his mouth uh, says acme instead of ajax indicating a post-production redub and that's really a, a close one you have to watch it's toward the end of the episode and Bagby comes out, and then you, it's it's kind of rough in the dubbing over. You can kind of tell if you know ahead of time. But um, I think that's all as far as I have as um, trivia is concerned. But I do have a quote for this episode. I think the real crux or turning point of this episode, and I'll just read the it's the interaction between Smithers and Poole. You know, as we progress in the in the episode. Um, Poole reads Smithers' mind, and Smithers is daydreaming about robbing the bank and going on a trip and uh, going far, far away or whatever. And, you know, Poole tells Bagby about it, and he's just conflicted. You know, he's like, ah, I don't know what to do. I, I got to tell Mr. Bagby about this, you know, robbery that's going to happen. And it ends up being just a daydream by Smithers. But uh, anyway, I'll go ahead and give you the, the quotes here and uh, the interaction. It says, after the fact, a pool says, Mr. Smithers, I don't, I don't know what to say. I am sorry. How did you know? How did you know, Mr. How did you know, Mr. Poole? It's true. Of course. I was thinking about filling my briefcase with the bank's money. Yes. It's a little dream of mine. Have you ever had a dream, Mr. Poole? I have. I don't always plan on Bermuda though. Sometimes it's Siam 
or Fiji, beautiful exotic places where there are no books to keep, where I am not the little man with no future and no past. Yes, Mr. Poole, yes, but I'll never go through with it. You know why? I've lived with it too long. I'm old and set in my ways. And besides, Mr. Poole, I guess I'm a coward. So here's this man, Smithers, who is rather elderly. He looks like he probably should be retired already. And he has to, you know, do this mundane job in the bank and keep the books. And he daydreams about, you know, stealing the bank's money. And he he doesn't go through with it, though. Um, I think this exchange with L.J. Smithers, I, I believe this exchange after the fact that Poole becomes much more assertive. Because if you know, if you notice after he talks to him, he, he becomes much more assertive about getting the job. Um, he goes on to say, and I think Jimbo, you mentioned this earlier. Poole says, we do things without thinking about them at all. And we think things without having the slightest intention of doing them. I think if you could boil the episode down, that's kind of what it's all about. And he goes on to, you know, after he's much more assertive and he goes on to parlay his gift. Uh, He becomes the head of accounts. He gets a round trip ticket uh, to Bermuda for Smithers. And of course, he has this newfound romance with Miss Turner. And he's much more assertive about uh, about that after the fact. But I'm going to have to disagree with you on this. Okay. And the reason I disagree with you on this point is. Because Poole came out and he was getting fired, or uh, Bagley came out and he was going to fire him anyway. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until he Helen was telling him and he was reading Helen's fault that he became more assertive. Because if you watch the episode, he was already packing up his bags and leaving, and that's after he talked to uh, yeah uh, the guy. So I can't, I, I don't think it's just because of that conversation he had. I think it's because he could read Helen's thoughts, and I, and I, and I, I, I don't want to say it's because of that conversation he had with sure. uh, what's his name. Uh, Smithers. Smithers. Yeah, I don't think it was that. I think it was Helen saying, "Look, don't let him push you around. You know, ask for the everybody knows you deserve this raise and everything." And I think that's why that finally pushed him over the the top. Yeah, I could say it was a combination of of both of those things. For for whatever reason, though, you can you can see a a kind of a change in his character because he's sort of uh, a passive sort of guy who do, you can kind of tell that he's. Uh, sort of passive in his demeanor and then that sort of change and it might be a common I would agree with you that Helen certainly helped him along the way and to, to do those things as well um, but that's all I have as far as I'm actually coming to the end and we're I'm at the scene where he's with Smithers and having that conversation right now um, but Jimbo I'm I'm ready to what's your what's your thoughts got anything your feelings about this episode I would give you a penny for my thoughts, but I want a nickel back. Let's just let's just say that. Um, like I said, it's it's comedy. I, did I like the episode? Not really. Um, it, to me, stuff like this isn't the Twilight Zone. Uh, there's no big shocking twist. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, he can hear people's thoughts, and he goes away. Once he knocks the penny over uh, on the way back to get the other newspaper, and then and the newspaper boy's like, oh, you knocked it over. I've had that standing up all day, and you just threw it in there. He's like, oh, it was you. Uh, so my question, one question I have is if the paper boy never uh, let that coin fall, would he have always been able to read thoughts? You know what I mean? I think that's what you can gather from the episode because once he threw and it hit that coin and knocked it over, you could, or he couldn't hear him anymore. Um, Dick York, he does a fine job. I mean, 
Uh, it's a different tone than the Purple Testament that he was in before. Um, but like I said, when the Twilight Zone comes to comedy, it's just it's just not done very well. Um, I, I know it's different than the ones before, and it probably is the best of the comedy ones that we've seen so far. Uh, but it's just not for me. So with that, I'll probably give it probably a 5 out of 10. Oh. It's, just, it's just okay, middle of the road for me. Okay. So, so you're on the... You're where I was last week on the on the last episode. Um, yeah, but, but the only difference is is you were wrong. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, <laughs> the invaders terrible. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna remove myself from that. I, I've tried to like the invaders. I just I just can't get around it. But uh, for this episode, um, I don't have a. I'll, I've got a couple questions maybe for you, but. Um, Mr. Bagby, just this is just an observation. He kind of reminds me of Templeton, you know how he's his hair is all perfect and the mustache. So I got a kind of lot of. I had to do a double take to make sure it wasn't the same actor playing Bagby as was in Templeton because they they seemed very similar to me. I probably have a more favorable favorable view of this episode than you do. Obviously, I like the subplot of the budding romance between Hector Poole and Mrs. Turner. They were the I guess the original Jim and Pam, if you will. And I guess that brings me to uh, my question: What do you think about office romances, there, Jimbo? Do you do you are you for that? Did you meet your wife at, at a? Did you guys work together, or maybe am I getting that mixed up? Uh, no, no, no. I met her at church. Oh, okay. Eric. I met her at church. I'm sorry. You know, I thought um, you guys had. A- uh, yeah, dude, I office romance. Let's face it. Uh, here we go. You had to you had to go there. Let's face it, because it. probably ninety percent of the office romances that are happening are probably two married people with a side. Yeah, thing. like a Bagby okay. and Alicia, um, right? <laughs> right, right. But Alicia didn't work there, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, but I mean, the- what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, if he, if you would have take if you would have took Hector and he was married, and you would have took. Um, Helen and she was married, and then him and Helen end up together at a fling at the office. But they're both still married and go home to their counterparts. You yeah. know what I mean? So, I'm I, I'm not saying you can't meet your spouse working together, but I don't think I would have ever worked with somebody or dated somebody that I worked with. I just don't think it would have worked. I handed you a grenade there. You did pretty well though. Yeah, <laughs> I tried to go, tried to dance around it, but sometimes you just got to pull the pin and throw it, baby. Go in. Um. <laughs> One positive thing, too, about the episode was uh, Dick York's, if you go back and look at his facial expressions as he's reading people's thoughts, they're fantastic. Like, I don't know what it, I mean, that guy, he's like Jim Carrey-esque. Like, I just really appreciated how his facial expressions told the story, and that's the mark of a, a really great actor. Um, I, I also thought, this is an observation, it was hilarious when he goes up to to the blonde lady counting the cash and he tries to read her thoughts, and he doesn't get anything back. I thought that was kind of funny, a little yeah, a little sn- snippet. But uh, overall, I thought it was a pretty good episode. Um, a, a light hard, a lighter hearted episode, of, of course. It's not dark, and I guess it's science fiction in the sense that he can read people's thoughts. So I guess it is a little bit science fiction in that regard. Um, probably the, the like I said, the best of the the light hearted episodes. Um, I just like Dick York, so I like him. You know, I thought he was a good actor. It was a shame that he had back trouble. We we did a little bit of a bio during the Purple Testament, and he kind of had to cut his acting uh, career short because of injuries. I think a back injury that he sustained on the set of a movie. Um, but yeah, I probably would put it at like a IMDb. IMDb 
put it at an eight, I probably would put it at seven, seven point five. So I enjoyed it. It's good. Touche. Yeah. To each their own. Yeah. All right, you ready to sh- so, shut her down? Uh, you got anything else? Well, well, Eric, what's uh, what's next week's episode? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, I don't. I just had it too the other day. What is it? Tell me. I can't remember. If it, I, I, I'm not really sure. I can't remember if it's the flight of Odyssey 33 or if it's the the kid talking to his dead grandmother on the phone. I don't, I don't remember which one it is. I might be flight of Odyssey 30. No, no, no. It's 22 or whatever yeah, that one is right. about the morgue. It's 22. That's what's next. I do believe. So, uh, yeah, if you like what you heard, leave us a review. Um, come join us on the Facebook uh, group page of the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. Um, Eric posts some stuff on there. It's usually about Back to the Future. But yeah. <laughs> he's a big time-traveling guy. If you guys haven't heard, uh, got that point by listening to these episodes of The Twilight Zone, especially when it comes to time travel. Uh, but, yeah, also um, – Eric, ADZ, will be live and in person. I'm putting him on the spot right now for our live show May 20th uh, at the Haunted Boone Jail uh, there in Lebanon, Indiana. So uh, tickets are going fast. We're selling a lot of them. So if you'd like to come see us, please get on there and and order your tickets. You can go to Eventbrite and just search uh, Hillbilly Horror Stories live uh, show. Um, Eric, you got anything else to add? You are going to make it, right? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely plan on it. We're gonna have to make some uh, maybe some arrangements because my daughter's birthday is that weekend. But we'll we'll figure something out. I think. Um, no, just uh, by way of just appreciate everybody listening, and I just hope that you guys enjoy uh, listening as much as we do. Uh, you know, involving all of the research and all the things that we. Uh, do to put this show together we we appreciate everybody's support and um yeah we really enjoy doing this and uh, can't thank you enough hey eric i uh i just want you to remember one thing you got to keep your priorities straight so bringing your daughter for her birthday to the live event would be an awesome birthday gift <laughs> yeah uh we'll see about that i'll try to, try to make that happen <laughs> all right well i think this episode's coming to a close and that's a wrap and cut One time in a million, a coin will land on its edge. But all it takes to knock it over is a vagrant breeze, a vibration or a slight blow. Hector B. Poole, a human coin on edge for a brief time in the Twilight Zone.